Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Down to Business. I'm Amanda Andrews, Managing Editor for New Hampshire Business Review, joined by Mike Cody, the editor of New Hampshire Magazine and New Hampshire Business Review. Good afternoon and good morning. <laughs> Today's guests are a state representative from Rockingham County District 13 State Rep. Erica Leon and Antonio Chacha, president of Three Access Advisors. So welcome both. Thank you. Thank you. Um, today, we're a little complex issue uh, that we have uh, in the pharmacy world, but we're going to discuss the role and influence that pharmacy benefit managers have on the cost of prescription medicine, the healthcare system, and patient access to treatments, which we all know is very tricky and very, very expensive. Um, there was a white paper that was released recently by the American Consumer Institute on November 1st that sort of sheds light on prescription drug affordability issues that we, you know, but essentially saying that pharmacy benefit managers, also known as PBMs, um, are being blamed for these issues that we have. So I'm wondering what your take is for both of you, whoever wants to start. Um, what, Who are these people and why should we be worried about this? Yeah, and, and, and briefly before we you answer the question, explain to our audience exactly what a pharmacy benefit manager is <laughs> and why they should care. I've got it up on Wikipedia, but I'm sure you'll give us a much better answer. So... Uh, a pharmacy benefit manager, think of them as the insurance company for your medicines. Years ago, before we covered medicines under our health benefit plans, uh, PBMs, they didn't really exist because most of us bought our medicines with our purses and our wallets. Cash was king in what we used to call the retail pharmacy world. Over time, as more medicines came to market, and as medicines got more expensive, we realized that medicines were a huge component to help us stay well out of the hospital and lower our medical costs. So as such, we started to integrate drug coverage into our overall benefits design, and PBMs were brought in to act as the great transactional facilitator. And as more and more medicines became covered under our health insurance plans, and as we started to integrate drug coverage into Medicaid and Medicare, Thus, our reliance on PBMs grew. Think of them as like a Visa or MasterCard at, 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 in terms of their upbringing into the system. But because they were in the middle of so many transactions, we started to say, well, hey, these PBMs that are acting on behalf of these health insurance companies, maybe instead of just paying the bill, they can start negotiating the bill and act as friction against drug manufacturers in exchange for covering the medicines and act as friction against pharmacies in exchange for allowing the benefit to be used at your local pharmacy. So sounds all very reasonable and good until you realize that PBMs started to help themselves to the very transaction they were hired to control. And so today PBMs position themselves as the necessary firefighters for high drug prices. But as I'm sure we will discuss today, they are also the arsonists when it comes to those high drug prices as well. And these are name brands. I'm looking at a list of the top companies uh, just for our audience. CVS Health, Caremark, Cigna's Evernorth and Express Scripts, United Health's Optimum Rx, Humana Pharmacy Solutions. These are all giant companies that are working in the space. Yes, they are Fortune 50 companies 
that are here to save us on our medicines. And um, I come from um, a medical device analyst world. So I covered those companies for a long time on Wall Street and I'd had the opportunity to cover the pharmaceutical benefit managers. But I, I just saw such an opportunity for them to make a lot of money, but really divert some of that money away from the research and development. So mm -hmm. one of the areas where PBMs actually do a really good job is now we have some of these devices like continuous glucose monitors and insulin pumps for people who have diabetes. And um, it's a lot easier for them to distribute it from a more central location than trying to go to your corner CVS to go get, you know, your insulin patch pump or something like that. But there's also a lot of our problems. We have a constituent here in Derry who um, is a type one diabetic and blind. So he can't inject his insulin because he can't see it to measure it. So he gets one of those really cool wearable patches that gives delivers his insulin that I had covered as an analyst. The problem is even after all of the benefits and it's gone through the PBM, he's paying four or five times what the company receives for that insulin pump. So when we talk about the high cost of treating diabetes, we really need to talk about the cost of the PBMs in this process. Can you sort of uh, shed some light on what the pricing structure is? Like how much power do they hold over what we're essentially paying out of pocket or what your, uh, your constituent was paying out of pocket for something like that? Um, with that, I think Antonio knows a lot more of those details as he's dug into those numbers. And as a data person myself, I'll defer to him there. Yeah, so in traditional marketplaces where we have competition, what that means is that suppliers of goods and services usually compete to increase quality and ultimately lower prices as a means of enticing consumer purchases. Uh, thanks to exemptions to federal anti-kickback laws that were Got, were received by manufacturers, PBMs, health plans, and GPOs back in the 1990s, unfortunately, competition doesn't work that way in the drug supply chain. In, in competitive environments within the drug space, competition actually works to inflate prices. Um, instead of actually drug manufacturers competing to lower their actual prices, they compete with one another to jockey for position on what we call the PBM's formulary. The formulary is essentially the menu of items that a PBM will choose to cover under your benefits plan. Drug manufacturers can entice PBMs to cover or prefer their medicines in exchange for larger and larger rebates. Those rebates are only allowed, again, thanks to exemptions from anti-kickback laws. So they walk and talk like kickbacks because they are kickbacks because of legal allowances for them. Well, that unfortunately creates an upward pressure on price. If PBMs can be enticed by bigger rebates, then drug manufacturers are incentivized to raise prices in order to create larger concessions or rebates that then can be pocketed by that PBM. What that creates is what the Drug Channels Institute famously calls the gross to net bubble. This delta that exists between the fake list prices of drugs and the very real net costs after all those discounts are accounted for. Unfortunately for patients, they often get stuck paid, paying the bogus inflated list price at the point of sale, while the PBM negotiating on their behalf will keep those rebates for themselves. So to simplify this to a degree, we've all bought appliances before. Imagine if you walked into the appliance store and bought a dishwasher that had a $200 rebate associated with its $1,000 list price. 
you would walk up to the counter, pay your $1,000, and afterwards, you'd fill out the rebate information, and that $200 would come directly back to you. So if you didn't get the rebate, and instead that rebate went to the appliance store or the credit card company, we would call that being overcharged. But in the drug industry, that's exactly how it works. If a drug manufacturer has a big rebate associated with a drug, the patient pays the list price at the point of sale, and the rebate goes to the PBM where they can keep it or pass part of it along to lower premiums for other healthy individuals. But the main point here is that sick patients overpay for medicines in order to generate rebates that accrue to people that aren't actually the patient taking the medicine. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an even worse wrinkle on top of this too. Um, it used to be that drug companies could give compassionate free drugs to some of the patients when they needed it. But with the way that the healthcare has become more of a system and um, the pricing models, they're not even able to do that. So it doesn't really matter how much the companies lower the cost if those savings aren't getting passed on to the consumer. So if they literally can't give free drugs or devices to somebody and this whole spread is going to the PBMs, you know, that's one area where I think we really could have a good impact on lowering drug prices. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something where we need to be speaking to the federal delegation because they seem to be making some movement on this, um, but it's absolutely necessary. And the white paper mentions that you know, this affects in some ways blocking generic drugs for people who need them because the incentive for the, the name brands uh, with the rebates, basically, there's no incentive for the companies to push those. Uh, it's completely broken the entire incentive system um, because now, now every single one of these benefits goes to PBMs and people aren't even paying what it would cost even before the negotiated discounts because um, they basically tend to charge people the maximum allowable price. And so they're capturing that entire spread between what they're able to get and what they're able to what they should be passing along. And, and Mike, just to give you a couple examples of how that rears its ugly head, you know, recently the biggest blockbuster in the in, in the pharmaceutical industry, arguably of all time, is is Humira. And that drug just went uh, just lost patent exclusivity after years of fighting over, over, uh, over keeping that patent for however way they could, but they finally opened the floodgates to biosimilar competition. And within just a very short time frame, we've already seen biosimilars enter the marketplace that are at almost a 90% discount relative to the brand version of Humira. However, if you look at most PBM formularies today, they continue to prefer the brand version of Humira over alternatives like what Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drug Company is offering today is again, as, so, as, as an alternative that is a 90% discount. So in another study that we did last year, we looked at the uh, very popular multiple sclerosis drug, Tecfidera. In 2021, it had a list price of around $8,300 per prescription. However, after just 10 months of generic competition, the generic version could be acquired by pharmacies for less than $200 a month. So $8,300 list price brand versus a generic that can be bought for less than 200. Over half of seniors were enrolled in Medicare Part D plans where their PBMs forced them to continue getting the brand and refused to cover the generic, leaving them wildly overpaying for something mm. while cheaper alternatives collected dust on the pharmacy shelf. All of that is because of these perverse incentives 
where PBMs can be enticed through these rebate kickbacks to prefer that brand product over the generic, even if it occurs at the expense of the patient. So Antonio, does that mean that it would actually it might actually be less expensive for some of these patients to just pay for that generic prescription in cash as opposed to whatever copay they're doing for these for the, the branded product? Without question, and, and I want to be clear, it will not happen that way all the time. It really depends on what type of drug you need and what your benefits design ultimately accounts for. More than likely, if you're a Medicaid beneficiary, you have no cost sharing. So plugging into the you know old system kind of makes sense. But if you're a patient in a high deductible health plan, or you're a cash paying patient, or you're a patient whose coinsurance is derived from the list price of the drug, it will often make sense for you to shop around and pay cash. This is how this is the exact runway that Mark Cuban landed his proverbial plane on, is that the pricing in the marketplace is inflated, bloated, and irrational. But if you unplug from that system, you can actually achieve much lower actual costs if you go around that PBM. Mm -hmm. And so even if even if a, uh, uh, somebody has a plan where it doesn't matter which drug uh, is being used, it's still getting using taxpayer dollars to pay for that more expensive drug. That, that is exactly correct. And it's a big reason a lot of the government programs struggle with affordability, not just for their Medicaid programs, not just for the federal Medicare program, but there's also state bureau workers compensation funds. There are state public employees, state teachers funds that are all plagued by a lot of these same perverse incentives that again, kind of restrict access, if you will, to more affordable uh, medicines. Do you think that requiring the transparency of putting what the cash price for a generic alternative would be on the prescription label that's printed out and given to the patient or that they give to them before they actually finalize that purchase might be able to give people more, you know, more authority and more choice in what they're actually going to do and provide that information? Well, having more transparency obviously can help a lot of folks, not just the patients, but the employers paying for these benefits as well. One of the challenges in the system is that because PBMs act as negotiators, that has a disincentive for not only drug manufacturers, but also pharmacies from actually lowering what their cash prices would be. If you've ever been on GoodRx's website or, or Mark Cuban's website, you'll see, you look up a drug, it'll have a gray, a gray one, it's got a, a really high price on it, and it'll have like a line through it, right? And then they'll show you what their price is. Well, usually the gray price with the line through it is what the pharmacy's typical cash price or what we call the usual and customary price will be. For, for a lot of reasons that I could spend a week talking about, Pharmacies have no incentives to lower their prices when they're when they are when their pharmacy is built on the business model of servicing PBMs. PBMs incentivize pharmacies to have high prices because ultimately they'll never get paid any more than what they ultimately charge everybody in the marketplace. The reason that there are small independent pharmacies that are cash only, and the reason that pharmacies like Mark Cuban's are unique is because they've built their business model around not serving PBMs and not plugging into their incentive systems, which is why their cash prices are, are a fraction of what the rest of the marketplace mm. 
ultimately bears. The problem is, is that many pharmacies have bloated prices, not because they're rotten or evil, but because they cannot financially thrive or exist unless they essentially overcharge because of the economic incentives that are placed upon them by PBMs. Mm -hmm. Wow. Go ahead. Um, I know that from the white paper, it was sort of suggested that maybe if a federal agency or some or some organization like the Department of Health and Human Services, if they were to um, sort of audit pharmacies and this whole, the pricing throughout the supply chain, as we were talking about, do you think that's possible? Is it necessary? Because, um, uh, you know, I feel like there, there needs to be some type of, uh, somebody needs to hold them accountable. So do you guys think that that's even possible or necessary in, uh, in this day and age? So I could at least give you my perspective as somebody who works with state attorney generals and state auditors and employers who are trying to get a better understanding of how PBMs are cooking up the prices that they're creating. The problem is, is that very often we're not being given an itemized accounting of what PBMs are charging us on a drug by drug, day by day, pharmacy by pharmacy, plan by plan basis. What that means is that we have an inability to effectively shop around if ultimately our real pricing experience is being kept under lock and key. Um, it seems absurd that a state attorney general who acts as the top cop in every state across the country is not given an itemized accounting from the large PBMs of what they're charging for their medicines. Uh, of course, if they were offering a great deal, I'm sure they would, be, they would love to brag about it, but because they aren't, they like to keep a lot of the proprietary details secretive. As such, any sort of transparency is going to be a huge amount, a, a huge boon to the cash paying consumer and the plan sponsor as well. One of the things that we have advocated strongly for is a better, is more transparency into Medicaid drug data, Medicare drug data, but also the data that employers receive. Instead of just being told, hey, here's how much we're going to charge you overall, I believe employers deserve an itemized receipt for what they bought not only so they can ensure that the PBM is upholding their end of the bargain relative to their contract, but more importantly, so that employer has actionable data such that they could better shop the marketplace for better alternatives. That certainly makes it complicated. <laughs> it's such a complicated space that I think this is one of the reasons why we need to be really careful when we're adding more and more of these different drugs to the coverage, especially with the different state plans, because it sounds absolutely wonderful to add them. But if in New Hampshire, they're not selling drugs largely through the PBMs because it's not covered by insurance and it's not covered by the state plans, then we don't have as much of that impact on what's actually being paid in the New Hampshire pharmacies. Sure. So it's going to hurt everybody, not just by what they're paying through their taxes, but because literally when they're going to fill their own prescriptions, those prices will be higher. And it's very similar to the same kind of transparency issues we have with healthcare in general, right? You get a bill that says your procedure is cost $20,000 and really you end up, it's really going to be negotiated down to like three and you're going to pay $500 or whatever it is. It, it makes absolutely no sense at all. Yeah, I broke my femur. It was $100,000, but it, <laughs> all, when all was said and done, it was actually only 18000 with one of the best surgeons doing it. Mm-hmm. But if you came in off the street and had no insurance, they would slap you with a $100,000 bill. They always have that option. 
that's uh, that's exactly right. And I think it, it look, I mean, one of the problems, one of, one of the one of the real reasons that we have to get a better handle on this is that if you, we always think about drug pricing as if it's very complicated. And trust me, I, I'm a nerd. I study it all day. It is. But if you boil it down, this is actually a very simple thing to pay for in healthcare. We have a known drug, a known a known identifier back to a manufacturer. We have a known pharmacy and we have a known service commensurate with the dispensing of the drug. This shouldn't be that hard to figure out. It shouldn't be ambiguous. Um, if we can't figure this out, how are we supposed to figure out knee surgeries and, 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 uh, and heart surgeries, right? This is the most simple thing that we buy in healthcare, and we've allowed it to become unnecessarily convoluted. The bad news for us is this: if we think that the PBMs are bad, well, I have news for you. PBMs aren't just PBMs. Because of vertical integration, the same companies that are PBMs, Mike, as you mentioned it earlier, we're talking about United Healthcare, Aetna, Cigna. These are also the largest health insurance companies in the country. But don't stop there. Those same companies also own their own specialty pharmacies, mail order pharmacies, and retail pharmacies like CBS Pharmacy. You add that to the fact that these same companies are now the largest employers of physicians and they have their own clinics. These aren't just the middlemen anymore. They are the entire system. And so if we can't figure out how to pay for something as simple as a prescription drug, we are in big trouble when it comes to funding everything else. You're right. That's a little scary. <laughs> and then when you look at what I did when I was building out the financial models with how much these companies who were developing the devices expect to bring in so that they could pay for their R&D, that actually was relatively predictable because the amount of incremental prices they're able to negotiate are pretty well known. So mm -hmm. the fact that the companies and the ones who are coming up with these products that are saving our lives or making them better sort of can know what they'll be receiving in the future. But those of us who are paying for it just can't figure it out because that data is not available. That just makes it even worse. You know, we had stepped away from a company for five years and our models weren't that far off when we came back. Mm -hmm. So we need to get that predictability on, on the, the paying side. Well, it's a great consumer story. And thanks for sharing this data with us. Uh, be interesting to see what happens next because it's one of those things where okay, where's the outcry? Where's it going to come from? Who's going to push for it? Well, thanks so much for hearing uh, for for be, for being interested in a very convoluted topic. <laughs> it's what's well, what we call it. We can all relate to when we go to the pharmacy. Exactly, <laughs> it's something everybody has to deal with. So, um, thank you both again for joining us today, and I'm sure we'll be learning more as we go. But thank you. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for bringing the term PBM to more people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And to everybody listening, be well.